he was really my spiritual father and it really hurt and it caused a lot of divisions but i was like you know this is what this is what the scripture says but this is what this is what christianity is saying and these things are not adding up he started telling us that girls you need to you need to dress for your future husbands you shouldn't be dressing for anyone else you and i'm sitting there <laughs> as a 10 year old going i'm 10 why am i wor- why should i be worried about how i'm dressing the openness and sharing and the honesty and how difficult that is because you it, it can be used against you and when that happens you know a, a time or or maybe two if you'll even after the first time will open yourself up again it it's uh it's really painful and it, and it becomes you feel really isolated come over me for this guy and it, it, just his facial expressions looking around like i don't belong here mm. and that made me feel so sad and i was just like i don't belong here either then so pervasive in that culture of like this this idea of american exceptionalism and and like we have to have this flag and we have to be like if if you aren't for the war if you aren't for whatever then you're not really a christian and i'm like how does that fit with a cross um and and that i think kind of shattered the like the, the armor already had a lot of cheeks yeah. But that kind of like was the final blow to be like, okay, I don't know that this is true. And I'm kind of starting to believe that it's not. For the most part, I kept those questions to myself um, because I started to get this feeling um, as much as I loved my church, as much as I loved um, the people there, as much as I felt like this strong sense of belonging, I, I, I really did not feel like it was an okay place to ask really difficult questions. But I I have always thought that that's so not toxic, but like unhealthy because it's teaching us how to be clever and like sneaky with things that we're doing. The Scott Stebbin Podcast presents a Deconstructing Faith series where we look at people's stories of what was built, what was lost, and what was found in between. Episode 5, Mandy Hamilton. Hey everybody and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Um, Hopefully you have been enjoying these uh, series on the deconstruction faith. Um, So joining me today is uh, Mandy Hamilton. You might remember her uh, about a year ago. She was helping me when I was doing a podcast series on the spiritual disciplines. Uh, At that point, she was uh, out in Tennessee. She was doing um, some great stuff out there and she's back to kind of share her story. So Mandy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. (laughs) Yeah, not a problem. So again, since you've been on our show before, in case if there's anybody new who may be listening, who doesn't know who you are, what's like a quick snapshot that you can tell to kind of introduce yourself? Yeah, um, my name is Mandy. I was raised up in the Christian non-denominational church. And um, this time last year, I was I was actually just about a week or so 
out from moving to Tennessee to go and join a church residency in Tennessee. So I've since left. I'm not there anymore. Um, and I'm actually about to move back to Tennessee for a completely different reason in a few months. So a lot has happened over the past year. Yeah, it definitely sounds it definitely sounds like it. I can't wait to really get into uh, to that. So um, you said that you kind of grew up in like a non-denominal Christian church. So kind of talk a little bit about just kind of your upbringing and growing up in the church and and just kind of that experience for you. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad is a non-denominational Christian pastor, and he has been for as long as I can remember. And um, I want to kind of preface everything I say today without any hostility towards my parents, because I get a little worried when people talk about deconstruction and leaving the church that, Mm -hmm. you know, it has to do with how they were raised. And for as much as I can remember until at this point, my parents have been nothing but probably the best pastor parents that I have seen or experienced like really up close. Mm -hmm. Um, they did a great job raising me and and giving a lot of space for, you know, my own questions and my own growth. So when I like talk about the church and growing up, I just want to clarify, I'm like, uh, trying to make a dig at my parents. Um, And, and, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, and I think that's, I think that's very wise because it's very interesting, especially going from a you know, being a pastor's kid, you know, very easily, it's very easily, you could just share your own experience. And it's very easily for someone to hear that and just kind of outpour that and point the finger at mom and dad when really mom and dad's not the cause of it or anything like that. So yeah, I so thank you for sharing that and kind of throwing that disclaimer out there. (laughs) Um, But I I've gone to church every Sunday, more or less for the past 22 years, 23 years and, um, church on Wednesdays, you know, youth group. I went to a summer camp, which was actually probably my greatest experience with Christian people, um, going to Camp Marengo, which is actually where we met Scott, Mm -hmm. you were on staff and that was, that was wonderful. Um, Camp Marengo is probably the greatest part of my Christian growing, like, learning Hmm. um I which was my experience and I'm not sure how it is for everybody else because I was younger but it um yeah I mean I think I just as far as what I learned was just a very basic American standard I think of Christianity that was just kind of given to me the same stories the same rules my whole life and um I think through the past couple years, I have started to kind of separate the church from what I believe and like where, where I stand on everything. And I think that's kind of what, what kind of finally took action over this past year and like why I'm kind of like coming out with how publicly I feel about everything mm-hmm. about the church Christianity. Yeah. And so you bring up, you bring up a good point. You bring up the point about how you're trying to separate what you believe from the church, which I think is very significant. Um, Also, I'm kind of very interesting because you said that, you know, camp and summer camp specifically, that was kind of probably 
your biggest experience. And even when we think about the idea of a culture in some way where you have a church culture and Mm -hmm. a camp culture, what would you say would be kind of the difference between those two things? Like why, like why summer camp? Why is that more Mm -hmm. of an impactful thing to you than let's say being in youth group or, or being in a traditional every single day, every single week, church setting? Yeah. Um, I think my biggest um, vice or issue, I don't know the exact word for that, but Mm -hmm. with everyday church, every week church life is there's this like stigma and or pressure to act and be a certain way. And like being a pastor's kid, having to almost, I feel like the word perform Mm. and and having to live that, that's what I experienced feeling like having to be this other person and like grace didn't apply to me in the same way. And, um, sin applied in a heavier way to me that that's how it felt. And when I went to camp, my experience, cause I know not all church camps or, or camps in general are good places, but for me going to camp, I had this freedom all of these people I didn't know, all of these people that just wanted to get to know me and care for me. And there was just kind of this freedom that I didn't have to pretend and I didn't have to be somebody that I wasn't. And, and even now growing up and seeing how the different camp staff and, and people that I knew there have kind of changed their views and um, are walking in ways that I feel as well. It's just kind of, uh, solidified how I felt then that camp and these people that I met through it are are a super safe place and they just allow you to be yourself and and I and I felt that freedom when I would go to camp every year um Mm. that I could be myself and nobody would nobody was concerned really with what I was doing right or wrong they just wanted me to be there and that was super super freeing which is what I feel like the modern day Christian church should be. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think that kind of goes back to this idea of kind of separate from what you believe or what you're thinking, or even what you're kind of feeling versus Mm -hmm. the church where camp setting, you felt like you could be yourself and you didn't feel the pressure to perform or to, um, or try to act or be a certain way. So Mm kind of talk a little bit about that idea of what were some things within growing up in church life that you kind of felt that was kind of more of a, a stigma where you're just kind of separate. And especially like you, you made a comment, which I'm, I'm very curious to hear more depth of you felt like certain, not only the performance, but certain sins felt a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. because you were a pastor's kid. So can, can, would you feel comfortable talk, sharing about that? Yeah. Um, when I'm asked that question and when, um, when I think about that, I think about this one particular instance in, I think I was in middle school and there was this boy and he was a grade or two older than me. And he was like the only openly gay boy in our school. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was like, I admired him for some reason. And I just thought he was so brave and so cool. And, um, and I, every chance I could, I would like smile at him and I wanted to like make conversation, but I didn't really know him. So I didn't know what to talk about, Mm -hmm. but I just, I had this pull to let him 
know like how much I cared about him. And I had this fear in the back of my mind every time that he would talk to me or, or would look at me or I was like, oh my goodness, I, I pray that he does not ask me if God loves him because I was like this super out and proud <laughs> Christian kid. And I was like, I, I swear to God, if he asks me if God loves him or like if he's going to hell or whatever, like mm-hmm. I, I would shut down. Like I wouldn't know what to say and, and thank God he never did because I, I can't imagine how damaging that would have been because mm. I was believe that like being gay is wrong and like, yes, love gay people, but they're going to hell. And like, I just could never get behind that. And, mm. but I was raised to believe that that's what it was. And like, we don't understand it, but that's what God says. And like, that's what I was raised to believe. And so I was so afraid because I felt in my bones that like, I just have never thought that being gay or being part of the LGBTQ community is wrong, but I had it implanted in me that like, I had this, this script that I would need to say to him if he were to ask me about God. And, and so stuff like that is where I personally feel like where I start to divide with like the values that I was raised with um, versus what I feel like is right in my heart and in my soul. So Mm -hmm. um, that was like, that is like the earliest big divide that I remember. That's all the way back in middle school. Um, and, and in regards to like different sins and, and feeling the pressure, it was just like, I remember like middle school, high school girls talking about like hanging out with their boyfriends and like drinking and partying and whatever. And I was like, I really didn't do a lot as a kid, but anything I did do, like there was a, a situation where I was really afraid of something that had happened with a boy, but I, I didn't tell my parents for years because I, I was like, if, if I tell them that, like, they're going to disown me because mm-hmm. I'm the path. Like, I, I can't let that get out at school. Like, I can't let any of this get out. And, and there was just this pressure that like, that the sins had more weight on me for some reason. And and I don't, and I don't know where exactly that came from because there wasn't really this pressure from my parents. Um, I think I just felt this, this like, uh, just, I keep using the word weight, but that's really what it was. Just this weight constantly of like, you have to be the example. You have to be perfect. You have to Mm -hmm. be better than everybody else which isn't true at all um but and it wasn't like anything it was just like being a high schooler and anything I did I felt so terrible because I I was wrecking the possibility of of speaking to people and helping them know about Jesus and it was just so damaging to my growth and my ability to be vulnerable and you know, I was just like pretending to be this perfect, perfect person that I wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm curious, did you ever felt in any way that you had to be perfect? Cause you're afraid if you didn't, maybe the weight wasn't necessarily like people making any type of judgments or say anything to you per se, but that it was going to get to, your dad and it was going to be more of a weight 
that was going to be thrown onto your dad as a pastor, like, oh, you know, did you hear what your daughter did? And, and people were going to bring up, did you ever felt any of that? Like what you did mm-hmm. was going to affect your dad at all or anything like that? You know, I hadn't, I genuinely hadn't thought about that until just now, but I think subconsciously maybe, um, because, you know, there's that, the bit of pressure of like having to go to church and like wanting to make dad proud and like wanting to, you know, look put together for him. Um, so Mm. that, you know, because like that, that's kind of a, a stigma that comes with being a pastor. I think Mm -hmm. that like, kids aren't put together, then like, what are you doing wrong? Like, how can you lead us? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I genuinely hadn't thought about that until you asked, but I'm sure that like, as a kid, you're worried about what everybody. Yeah. And I mean, I asked that question because I know like sometimes like with having little kids, sometimes they can get a little rowdy. And for me, it doesn't really necessarily bother me at all, but I know that sometimes my wife, she kind of goes like, Ooh, like she gets a little bit nervous and she has a bit of anxiety. Cause again, she grew up in a very, going to a very conservative church and you know, the Mm -hmm. pastor wives were like, there was a certain kind of stigma and a certain kind of appearance that a pastor wife had, and she didn't really fit that mold. So the fact that it was like, Oh no, like, (laughs) like try to fit that mold. And it's like, um, and I keep telling her, I was like, you know, you just be who, God created you to be. You don't need to learn how to sew or learn how to play the piano or 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 do it or have to sit in the nursery all the time. Like you don't have to do all that. You know, you do what you feel like God's calling you to do. If it's if it's staying at home and just taking care of the kids and stay at home and take care of the kids. If it's you want to go and be the head coordinator of vacation Bible school, then do that. Like yeah. You know, don't don't feel like that, because I mean, I didn't feel like I put the pressure on or at least I hope I'm not putting any pressure on them about yeah. anything like that. But I want to know if that's just kind of a thing where it's like, well, if you're the pastor's kid, then, you know, there's a certain thing. And whether that's something that's learned or it's something that you kind of just create your own culture, and your own ideals about what you need to do, because you don't mm-hmm. want anything to happen, whether to you or have that reflect on to you know, mom and dad, which kind of right. goes to the little disclaimer you did at the beginning of that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, maybe it's all connected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I think my parents did probably the best job that, you know, I, I could have experienced with being a pastor's kid. Um, and I, and I'm sure I had fault in it too, just like being rebellious and like not wanting to like listen to mom and dad just because they're mom and dad, but not because they're a pastor. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that you talking about your wife and, and that like pressure and anxiety is, is one example of the larger scale of, of Christianity and Christian people is that they feel that they have to be different. They have to be better or fit the mold when like a, a guy who's in accounting or a guy who's just a businessman nobody's like, oh, you're a businessman's wife. Like their occupation doesn't have any weight or restraint on their family or their wife because that's just their occupation. But when you're a pastor and when you work in religion, there's this, I feel like this unspoken, but completely spoken attitude of like who you are and what you believe is now tied into your nine to five. 
Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like so impossible to break that with continuing to work in it because it's like who you are and your morals and what you believe is how you also make your money. And it's like, it's this impossible tie that I feel like is completely woven together. Yeah. And even, and even that, like, I think like when you talked about like jobs and stuff, you never, you know, when like my wife's, uh, you know, she's going to finish up her degree to get her teaching license. Now, mm-hmm. when my wife is applying to find a school so she could be a teacher at, I mean, I'm not going to her interviews and I'm not sitting there. They're not asking me questions right. about me being a teacher spouse, but I could go into a church and they could ask me as, you know, they're seeing if they want me to be the pastor of the church, but then they have every right to ask questions on to Laura about like, oh, well, what do you do and everything else? It's like, well, you want to do that with, I mean, if I was even working at Arby's, I'm not bringing my wife to the interviewing process. you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like nobody else cares. And like, and I think what the, the Christian community would say to that is like, yeah, but when you're a pastor, you, you have to hold yourself up to this moral standard. Like you have to be you have to be this because people look up to you and, and that's something kind of like moving, moving forward into my experience at the church. Another Mm -hmm. disclaimer, this church was um, probably the greatest church that I've ever been involved with. Um, I was just too close. I was just way too close to how like the sausage gets made in regards to like how churches work. It Mm -hmm. was just close for me. And that was one of the things like when when Biden got elected, I was very happy because I can't stand Donald Trump. And I was, I was very excited just to have him out of office. And that's my personal opinion. And when that happened, I, I ran downstairs because I was at church at the time. And three of the staff members were like, stop talking. Don't do that. Like, don't be excited. And they were like, if it was the other way around, you would be upset. Like, you want to be indifferent as as indifferent as possible and and also we would you know have to you know watch what we posted online and watch Hmm. you know things like that and and in the back of my mind I was always like but why this is what I'm doing like I am going out with my friends and we are like going downtown Nashville like I but I have to hide that because I don't want somebody to get the wrong impression and you know they're like saying that we're the leaders of the church that we have to be witnesses all the time which i understand but but what witnesses to what like like it's it's like (laughs) (laughs) and that's the part i never i never really understood because it's like if i'm gonna go out drinking with my friends that's what i'm gonna do and i'm gonna do it the way that i'm gonna do it and you know i think that's a responsible and mature way in a safe way and and you know their reasoning would be like and not just their church but like all of churches are like, you don't want to give people the wrong idea because they're only getting a picture. They're not getting the whole idea because they don't know you. And, but it's, but I, I have always thought that that's so not toxic, but like unhealthy because it's teaching us how to be clever and like sneaky with things that we're doing and like having, like we only like church staff, like, <laughs> Like we only curse around each other, but like, we're so careful not to curse when it's like Sunday morning, huh. but like, 
you know what I mean? It's like, we do it. So why are we hiding it? We don't want to give people the wrong idea, but we're doing it anyway. Like what idea are we giving them? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, 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 yeah, that's very interesting because it's almost like, you know, we always, I feel like the hypocrisy is that, you know, from the pulpit or from the Sunday school classroom, you're always told that, you know, it's about opening your life to Jesus, opening your life to community and being a part of community Mm -hmm. and just being real with our burdens. And, you know, I I mean, I go back to, you know, James 5, 16, you know, confess your sins to one another. So yet you'll be healed. So there's Mm -hmm. this model, which we see within the new Testament of doing life together, doing community together, but it was very open and very, and nothing was always secret and nothing was hidden. Like if everything was hidden, I mean, we wouldn't have any of the apostle Paul's letters because he wouldn't know anything because everyone was hiding all this crazy stuff they're doing, like in Corinth where, you know, all this stuff, like, but the fact is, is that if we're telling people we need to be open with Jesus and allow people, and we need to be open with one another and come as you are, and then you come as you are as someone who may be broken or even something where it's like, you know, maybe you're just like, well, you know, I'm someone who, you know, I like to go out with friends and I like to have a beer and that's it. And I'm not getting drunk. I'm not doing anything. So how you interpret scripture, you know, I'm not, I'm drinking, but I'm not getting drunk. So that is justifiable and it's fine. Plus Jesus drank wine and all, you know, you could do, I mean, whatever interpretation, how you ever want to use that, but then it's almost like, well, no, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And not and not only like and I can understand like oh well we don't want to we don't want to swear we don't want to do that but if it's something that behind closed doors you're doing and then when you're out in the open you have to like you know put on your makeup and put on your mask and go <laughs> you know and do that then you have to go like well wait a minute what's the disconnect why can't I if this is kind of the culture that's behind a curtain why do we mm-hmm. why do we have a Dr Jekyll Mr Hyde effect going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that it can constitute with anything, like not just stereotypical like sins. It can just go with like attitudes and like gossiping and whatever, like there's just, and whatever your personal convictions are like, because I've met people who don't feel convicted about certain things that are sins or whatever. And like, that's their own business. But um, like, there are some things that I do that I'm like, I've never felt convicted like I curse and I'm not like I feel like it's fine (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I um I I don't know I just I don't understand why people do that like curse or drink or whatever and it's not a big deal but then when it's time to step in front of people they change and it's like why aren't we just being honest with who we are and and why why is it that when new people come to church, I feel like there has to be such this quick turnaround of, okay, you're here now. Now it's time to immediately start living by our rules. Like you're saved, you're different, like be a completely different person. And I feel like that's why a lot of people leave because they can't change who they are as a person that quickly. Like, yes, the church says that you get saved and yes, like you're free of sins and you're reborn and everything, but people are still people and it takes time to make big life changes. And And I think that there's that pressure for newcomers too, where they feel the need to be a a person that is pleasing to the rest of the community. And sometimes the pressure gets too much and they leave. And that's why people only 
stay at churches for a year or so yeah. and then they they move on yeah and it, it reminds me of this movie years and years ago this christian movie called how to save a life and I thought when I first saw that movie, I thought, you know, this is pretty realistic with someone who's coming to faith because the guy comes to faith, gives his life to Christ, he gets baptized. And then next thing you know, I think a couple scenes later, he's like getting into a fight with somebody and he, mm-hmm. he's using harsh language. And it's like, and I sit there and I go, yeah, because even with my experience, when I started going back to church, you know, I had a mouth on me. So yeah. the fact for me to, you know, go from me used to swearing all the time to now I'm a Christian. It's like, Oh, well, we don't swear anymore. Like it took a while. It took a while for me just to kind of get to the point where, you know, I wouldn't swear anymore, especially like if I got, if my temper, someone really made me mad and my temper went off that I didn't start throwing bombs everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it took a long time for that transformation to happen. And I think that's, and I think you bring up a good point. I think anytime when you have to go from, okay, I'm trying to go through this transformative process of being someone who's, here's my old life. And this is just like mainly for someone who just comes to the faith. Here's my old life. Here's my new life. I'm trying to make these changes and understand how to live like a Christ follower. And there's these certain steps I need to take, but they're difficult for me because there's some stuff that years I've been doing certain things. Things are just kind of conditioned. Things are just kind of part of how I was raised and the culture that I grew up in. And then to go and feel like you have to do this little song and dance and every Sunday just to kind of go, okay, yeah, hey, woo, hands up, you know, I'm great. And then all of a sudden you 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 go back home and then you're just like exhausted and tired Mm -hmm. because you just kind of had to put on a performance. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think about church and and my many years being there and, and I wonder about how many times I actually had like a spiritual connection or, or situation in church. And I think that the majority of the times that I felt um, God speaking was when I was alone and when I was really being honest and, and when I wasn't doing it for anybody else. And I think, I think that a lot of people who are Christians and, and that's like, uh, kind of stepping into another issue I have with like mega churches and just like this big showy, uh, attitude is that I don't I don't know anymore how much of what they're saying is real or how much of it is honest or you know like people who work in churches they constantly seem like they're on this incline they constantly seem like they're spiritually just growing and growing and everything just keeps getting better and better because how how unhelpful for the church business that they work for would it be for them to be like, Hey, I'm actually really struggling with this really hard thing right now. Like how, Mm -hmm. how unhelpful would that be for like just huge churches to have this guy or girl that everybody looks up to be super honest that like, Oh no, they're struggling with like alcoholism. Can they like, should we let them lead our kids? And like, they know that. And so they're not going to talk about it. And, mm-hmm. and that's why pastors like 
oh what's his name um um perry pastor perry i think that's his name he he is the pastor of second chance church now and he used to be the pastor of this other church and he had been struggling with alcoholism for i i don't know how long but eventually his church found out and he was removed from the church and he went to rehab and and he was basically alone he lost his family and he had to go through it all alone and then when he you know got out of rehab he came back to try to be the pastor of his church that he was invested in again and they told him no and so he Mm -hmm. had to go and, and start a new church and it's called second chance church and I think I can't remember his name for some reason. I haven't listened to him in a while, but he was a great, great teacher. And, and I just think things like that are so, they're so baffling to me. Like here's the, and it's kind of like a confirmation of that fear that they have that if, if I am actually honest with what I'm struggling with, oh my God, like I can't, I'm going to lose everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. And that's, that's on a huge scale, but mirroring it down, pastors, kids and small pastors and just Christians in general have that fear too. I know that they do. Yeah. And I think, and I think you're, and I think that's kind of a very interesting point because it's so much, you know, I think it's very easy for us to, when we look at leadership in the Bible, we can look automatically. I think everyone goes straight to Jesus Mm-hmm. And Jesus was this perfect individual who always spent lots of time with the father, both morning and evening, was able to do all these great things and had no sin. And we kind of put that model of leadership on pastors. Totally. Yeah. And But then you can go to like, okay, well, then let's look at Moses, murderer. Let's look at David, adulterer. Let's look at, you know. Even if you want to go to Peter, you know, oh, he denied Christ and was always asking questions and he was unsure of what was ex- what he was experiencing or what was happening yeah. half the time. Yeah, I mean, you can um, look at John and, you know, my thing is John was kind of a narcissist. He's always like, you know, always talking about, oh, yeah, the one that Jesus, the disciple that Jesus loved. And he's talking about himself. Wow. I'm like, how, how egotistical can you be? <laughs> you know, exactly. and it's but yeah. it's like you had all these imperfect leaders who did great things because of their imperfections or even though they had these imperfections, even Paul, like Paul even still talks about, you know, sometimes it was hard for him to do ministry because people still knew him by saw the guy who was hunting down Christians and killing them. And yeah. And everything else. And it's like, well, and yet, even though that was kind of a weakness it you know, God used that as a strength. And, Hopefully. and I think when we, when you have a leader who feels like they can't come out and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this and not even struggling with like things like alcoholism or pornography or, or even struggles with their marriage or, or whatever the case, but just simply saying, you know, I'm just having struggles with my mental health. Yeah. And you feel like you can't even say that because then that means, well, then you're unfit as a leader because you can't, because you're not in balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's mental health is a big, that's a touchy subject for me because I actually, my last summer when I was on staff at camp, I, I developed anxiety like clinically 
And I had no idea what was going on. And that was the same summer I actually came and worked with you at that camp in Virginia. And Mm -hmm. like nobody knew that whole summer what was going on except for my parents. And every time I told them what was going on, you know, they would say just, you know, the Bible tells us not to be anxious, be anxious for nothing. And like, you're, you know, you're just having a really tough summer. You're even gone and, and like all this stuff. And like, yes, I understand that for them, it was new and they were unsure about what was going on. And, you know, I don't want everybody to think that they're who's tired and whatever just has anxiety. But I think even after a while that I had been struggling with anxiety, I, I still felt like I was this really like awful Christian because the Bible says not to be anxious. And like, what am I anxious about? Like, what am I so worried Mm -hmm. about? I I'm supposed to have no worries and I'm supposed to have peace and like, let God transcend my thoughts and like make my mind new and all of these verses that have been crammed into my head that I keep repeating to myself and it's not working. Why isn't it working? Like what's wrong with me? And and it's interesting that you bring up verses because we're very, I think a lot of times Christians can, bring up, you know, Jesus's sermon on the Mount about do not worry and can bring up all that stuff. But then you could look at the Psalms. I mean, there's some Psalms that start off like, Lord, where are you? Everyone that my enemy's yeah. out to get me. And it's like, well, that's a, definitely a cry of anxiety right there. Yeah. Like I'm about to die. Sorry. God, where are you? I need your help. Like, like, yeah. um, I don't think that's just like, oh, just don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. It's no big deal. Just let him transcend your mind and make it new. And yeah. And like, yes, I understand that those verses are for, I apply them differently. Um, But I mean, I think there's also this stereotype of like, oh, mental health is just a trend and like every, everybody's anxious and like all this stuff. But then you look back at King Saul, it was who, Mm -hmm. who had like, they, they would say that a demonic spirit took over him and he acted this certain way. And I learned at camp through I think it was Sam Steimer who told me this and she was like that was probably like a bipolar disorder that he had and nobody in bible times knew what was going on in the mm-hmm. brain they didn't know what the brain was so they're just like yeah and a demonic spirit took over him and so we just kind of pass over it like it, like it's not something that's applicable today but like it happened and I read it I went back and I read it myself and it said I believe at least three times that a demonic spirit took over him Mm -hmm. and and he started acting in this certain way and yeah so mental health is something that goes back to at least bible times yeah (laughs) and even and not only that like you can even go back to you can even go back to the story where jesus heals the demon possessed boy and he's just having seizures and that's all he's doing he's just having seizures i mean for him i mean that could just be someone who has epilepsy or you go to the person who, you know, the guy with demon legion for we are many. Well, you know, that's disassociative identity disorder. Yeah. You know? So and and again, like, you know, having a mother who had who was diagnosed with disassociative identity disorder, you know, I mm-hmm. I could very easily could tell you that, like, if someone didn't know better or had no clue about mental health, you would probably think that my mom was probably possessed. Yeah. Yeah. Possessed by many, many demons but that yeah. wasn't the case that was just kind of how how it was and you so yeah. it's very fascinating I mean I think there's sometimes where you know you can still look and there's things that are real demons but I think there's a lot of times where it's like well if you don't know what it is and you can't explain it well it has to be spiritual in nature 
So right. it's, it's a demon. You don't think like, oh, this yeah. is a psychological break or a disorder. Let's, yeah, you know, let's totally. get let's let's go ahead and call Freud in and get him going real <laughs> quickly so we can diagnose everybody in in biblical times. You right. know? <laughs> so and that's that's something I've learned, too, is that the Bible is um, the Bible is a it's a history book and it's written like it was in those times. And and it's not and modern day up to date on society and mental health and like things have changed since Bible times, you know? And, and I think that even people who aren't Christians can believe that, or will agree that the people who are characters in the new Testament were actual people Um, like atheists, I believe will at least admit that Jesus Christ was a person. So like historically it is an older book. And so taking it, that's a part that's really frustrating to me when people take book or take verses from the Bible and will copy and paste them into modern day life and say that like, well, this is my truth. Like, okay, yes, but like we have adapted and changed even in, in regards to like, well, not just like regards to mental health and, and regards to how families are arranged and, and the age that which you are married and like how families work and how the church works. And just so many things have changed. Like the truth of the Bible remains, but I think that's where I've noticed a lot of um, like older Christians today get stuck is that the rules that they read in the Bible, they just get so zoned in and so focused on controlling and like copying pasting this rule and putting it in modern day and it's and I feel like it has to be a situation by situation application because families don't run the same and like women and wives aren't treated the same and like we don't have slaves then like or we don't have slaves now like they did back then and like the racial like race is so complex and like I don't actually know how that all would be sorted out in the Bible because I also think we forget that everybody in the Bible was brown and nobody yeah. was white. Yeah, no, there's no yeah, no Europeans there, right? Well, no there's Euro- some, well, some, but yeah, you're you're right. They're mostly, I <laughs> guess, like Corinth. You could have probably had some Europeans there, but that would have been before Europeans were cool. <laughs> the bad guys were white, but nobody wants to be the Romans in the Bible place. <laughs> oh man, we we can open up that can of worms, but that's not for today. <laughs> that's, that's a whole different episode. Yeah, that's but, a whole different episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's. But I mean, like, that's what I mean when I say that, like, the Bible, like, white Christians will take this one thing that Jesus said and and apply it, and like. Or not, not even just Jesus, because what he said was was probably right. Um, but just one verse in the Bible and taken out of context and put it in modern day life, and it's like, okay, but can we be a little open minded? Like, can we have a conversation about it? Because some of the things, the majority of things that I believe are copy and pasted, without any modern day context application, can be super harmful. Mm-hmm. So. All right, so. So just hearing you, you see like, so it seems like you've, you know, grew up in the church, you were doing church ministry, left the church because there was a lot of conflict between what you're kind of seeing 
behind the curtain and what was kind of being played out in the on the stage, I guess, you know, use a theater term, you know, what's being played on stage is different than what's happening behind the curtain and or in the wings. Um, so as you're going through this whole process, like where do you see yourself now as far as your faith kind of growing or developing at all? Like, are you kind of, are you, go, are you still going to church or have you not gone to church and you're kind of doing your own thing? Like kind of where, where are you at now with your faith development? Yeah. This is the part I'm most scared to say um, <laughs> because really, I feel like it really is like a coming out video of like my change in faith because I've always been known as like the Christian kid. Um, but I, I want to adjust, but you said I didn't leave the church because of the like pretending. Mm-hmm. I, I just like learned that that's how churches are. And like, that was confirmed. Um in my experience, I, I ended up leaving because I was having this spiritual turmoil and I didn't feel like I could help lead any area of a church when I didn't even know what I believed or what I thought. And, and so mm-hmm. I talked with the past super gracious and super kind. And, um, the conversation went probably the best it, it could have gone. Um, and so that was really, really encouraging, but you know, I just, I, for all of my college time, I probably started to break down what I believed. And, and I think working in the church, I got like really close to the fire and, and that's what like made me face what I believed. And, and in summary, I don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I believe. Um, and it could change. I think that I think that Jesus was a real person and he is such a great, great example for anybody to try to live by. And I still, sometimes I'm like, okay, how would Jesus respond? What would Jesus do in this convert, like in this situation? Um, Which is, which is genuinely really helpful. As far as um, God, I believe that God is out there, but I don't think that he's exactly what I learned him like was taught him to be if that makes sense I feel like mm-hmm. he's different than what I was taught and so yeah. I'm trying to kind of let that question be out there and like letting answers come to me when they do um the bible I I <laughs> there are so many things in it that I don't know and I started to read through it and I think I got about halfway through like cover to cover Um, And I still want to read it in its entirety before I can like stamp down how I feel about it. I think that it is a history book. I think that the teachings of Jesus are true and historical. Um, I don't know about the books that are more like maybe metaphorical or poetic or things like that. I'm like, I don't know how literal they are. I don't Mm -hmm. understand mean if they are in the context of what I was taught or so that the Bible is a big like learning ball for me right now and I'm trying to slowly it's a big process but like slowly unwind it and figure out what what it looks like and what it means to me yeah um I don't I don't currently go to church I think um I need a break honestly Mm. uh I I can go and invest in a community without it being harmful to me because every time I try to ask questions 
and I'm in a church community, I always brush them under the rug because I'd rather just have the community. And um, that's my own fault. And so I need to create that space and distance and really just allow myself to have that space to ask questions about about everything. And I don't want to be afraid to have questions. And I think sometimes when I'm in church, I feel afraid to hmm. have questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. And actually, I think that's, and I think that's very, I think that's very brave. And I think that's, that's very, very good, you know, because I mean, I look at, you know, kind of how I've kind of, and I may say this, I haven't even recorded like the introduction to this whole series yet, but one of the things I, have kind of come with it comes to deconstruction it's almost like and i'm going to use my son as an example he loves to build legos and -hmm. he'll open up those little books and he'll figure out you know okay put this piece and then step two step three so then eventually you have like a whatever he's building Mm -hmm. there have been times where he had misjudged putting a block somewhere and as he continues to keep building up and building up eventually he finds that there are some pieces that just don't fit and it doesn't look right yeah. So the only thing you have to do is you have to go back down to where the thing is and try to figure out, oh, here's why, because I need to move it like one column over and now you can build everything back up. And I think yeah. even, and I just actually just this week, um, I've been listening, I usually listen to a bunch of different podcasts, but I listened to the Holy Post and uh, Philip Yancey, who is a guy who had to read his books for college. And he always wrote these books, like what's so amazing about grace to Jesus. I never knew. And he always asked all these questions about like, you know, who's Jesus and, and why do we have all these, why do people have these different views of Jesus? And so, but he talked about his own deconstruction back in like the seventies. And, and mm-hmm. for him, he said, you know, he kind of left the church and, and of course the church he grew up in was kind of out of Bob, kind of from Bob Jones and very, Mm. racist you know they taught that you know that black people were from the seed of ham and his sin and that's why they're never able to be ceos or something because they're cursed or or whatever case that may be and i'm thinking well that's kind of horrible um (laughs) and, and but i mean he but he said you know he he was gone and he eventually came back to faith but it took years for him just to kind of get away from and really understand, you know, here's what I was taught and a lot of the stuff that I taught. And it's like the thing, well, a lot of stuff that I taught or the stuff I believe is not, I don't believe anymore, or I'm finding out I'm reading the scriptures. I'm going, well, wait, this, this isn't true. Mm-hmm. This isn't, this is, so what do I, so what do I do with, so what do I do now? Yeah. And I think that's, and I think, you know, for anybody who's going through this process, it's kind of that idea of, you know, it's okay to deconstruct. I don't see, I don't see deconstruction as sinful. I see it as a way of kind of, I guess the best way, I guess the best biblical analogy I could use, it'd be the apostle Paul who, you know, he believed that these Christians were, you know, rebellious and they're going to cause their heretics. So he's going out and he's killing all these Christians and putting them to trial. And then He's blinded on the road to Damascus. He has to go find Ananias. And then as Ananias is kind of praying over him, we see that scales fall from his eyes. Now, whether that is literally scales were falling from his eyes and he was able to see, or it's the writer putting something in there to kind of showcase just an old faulty view of things falling so that he can see the truth of who Jesus is and and what Jesus taught, you know, mm-hmm. either way, it's kind of like that. I think a lot of times we go and we get caught up in 
the politics and of church life and we put on our mask and we do all that stuff to eventually we get to a point where we go well wait i'm reading the bible or i don't necessarily believe this stuff and it seems like or i'm seeing or even the institution that's supposed to be going out and making disciples that's supposed to be helping the least of these doing all these things is not doing it right and and if they're not doing it then why then why would i call myself a christian or be a part of a christian church when when i read the bible it doesn't fit to what the local church is doing yeah and and i think so for me deconstruction's that moment of just allowing the scales to fall off the eyes and really say, okay, you know, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. And even though you're, you're like, you know, I believe in Jesus. I, I, God, I I mean, I believe in God, but I don't know because I've been taught so many things. I don't know what to believe. It's like, well, that's okay. Go on that journey. Yeah. Enjoy the journey and allow the journey to shape you and transform you. And, you know, one of the things that I always find so fascinating, or at least with my current readings was about church life as I'm going through my going to do my doctorate. The one thing that I find so fascinating is, you know, every time we're told you got to believe this, this is how it is. This is this. And every time when you go and step foot in a church, you're just having this mind stimulation. Mm-hmm. Maybe you might have a heart stimulation due to how the, keys are played or how the guitar is strum or or if the mm-hmm. fog machine is pumping out the right out of fog or 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 the light or the chain the lights change from bright red to to a nice blue or or whatever <laughs> and it's very like spiritual synthetic whatever but every time when i read the bible and read people's interaction you know we have the sermon on the mount which is probably you know three four three or anywhere between three and five chapters in Matthew's gospel. And then the whole rest of the gospel is people experiencing Jesus. And I think so many times in church life, it's all about mental stimulation, but we're not having an experience with God. We're not having experience Mm -hmm. with, with Jesus. We're having experience with what we're seeing on stage. We may be having experience with whatever the pastor's staying and, whatever the worship leader is doing, but are we truly having that experience with God and really taking that time to be alone? Like you said, I mean, you even said yourself, you know, the times you really felt any type of connection with the divine was either a, you were alone, which is kind of what Jesus did and B, or if we want to throw camp back in there, you were in an environment where you felt like you could be open and honest. Yeah, totally. It'll be open to experience. Yeah. And it wasn't like, I think that churches like you, the fog and the lights and everything and churches where it's like, you're going into a concert is like, it's such just an emotional experience. Like it's just emotion. It's just in the moment the music swells and the lyric is just right. And I'm going to start crying, but like, is it actually because I'm breaking something down in me that needs to be broken down or I actually feel so close and like so loved, or is it just because, wow, this is really emotional and everybody has their hands in the air. So let's just all cry together. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and I'm guilty of it. Like I, I know for years, like I went to elevation for a few years and I know I was like, I was that girl dancing and jumping around. And I'm (laughs) the majority of the time it was just like, I'm just happy to be here. And like, this is great music and I'm with my friends and it wasn't, I'm ashamed to say it, but it wasn't really because I was like super happy to like be experiencing Jesus in that moment. Like it was all very performative. And I know that I cannot be the only person who feels like that. And I mean, I can guarantee you, you're probably not. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. You're probably not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, Mandy, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I mean, good luck to you as you're going through this process. And, you know, I mean, I think, like I said before, you know, there's, I don't think there's always a time limit on the process, Totally. but if you're on the process and you're continuing, and I think that's the thing, it's always, Oh, what's the verse? You know, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. if we do that, we're going to have that encounter. We're going to have that encounter, but I think sometimes we just have to kind of break kind of the stigma or kind of the, the dummy walls that the, that religion and whether it's something someone taught us or something, we just kind of blindly believed. We kind of put that thing up and go, you know, this, this wall needs to come down. Let's, yeah, let's have that experience. So again, thank you so much for sharing your story and guys, again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this. I hope you've been able to learn something from Mandy's experience. Maybe you're just like Mandy and you're kind of going through that same experience. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm going through the same stuff, you know, and, and, you know, we would love to hear, we would love to hear your stories and, you know, you can go to the scottstebbin.com, my website, you can go send us a message there. If you're on Facebook, you can go ahead and just write, you know, go find the Scott Stebbin podcast on Facebook. You can write something there and we like to hear your stories and, you know, who knows if we get a good response and, you know, we may, have a big like round table after the series in and with bring every people who shared their stories and just kind of talk about things and just kind of see how our stories connect and what were some of the key things that we're seeing, you know, this is kind of a big thing that maybe the church needs to be aware of and say, you know, we have to really break down some of the things that we've been doing for years and years and years, because it's starting to have an effect on people's connection with Christ. So guys, again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll be back on next week with a new episode. Hope you guys are great and I'll talk to you later. Bye.